Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. Greetings, Upper Room, and Happy New Year. Well, if you are looking ahead at 2020, maybe you're one of those people that loves to plan. You already got a whole bunch of things worked out. Just to let you know, it's not going to go as you planned. But hey, you can. no one's going to fault you for trying. Uh, there's others of you that are just saying, well, it's a whole year in front of me, and I'm just going to play it by ear. Now, whether you're a planner or not or anything like that, can I just suggest something to you? That what is going to drive you in 2020, motivate you, fuel you, push you, direct a lot of what you and I will end up doing, whether or not we are aware of it, is this. All I need is a bit more fill in the blank. All I need is a little bit more money. We could have just a little bit more financial buffer than we had last year. Oh man, if I could just get that raise, just need a little bit more. If I could just get a little bit more fulfillment in my job or in my school, if I could just have a few more friends or have the, the love or the friendship that I want, if I could get just a little bit more you know, healthy, maybe lose a little bit more weight or get a little bit stronger, more, a little more beauty, a little more success. Maybe I could just get a little more recognition for my work or maybe just a few more followers. The reality is whatever you put in that blank, we all have something. We all have many things. We're all driven by the ideas. All I need is a little bit more. Now, maybe that's obvious to you because who wants less? <laughs> who wants less recognition, less money, less success, less beauty, less whatever. In fact, a lot of what we're doing is trying to keep that and gain a little bit more. Maybe you're one of those people who said, you know what, the reason I'm like that in 2020 is because I haven't had any. I mean, I'm not in a position where I've felt like I've had enough money or enough sort of recognition. I keep getting passed over. I can't get the break I need. I don't have any friends. I don't feel like I have love in my life. That's not, I don't have any of it or I haven't had, the, 2019 wasn't good for that. Or maybe it's a whole season where I haven't had that. Um, Maybe others of you would say, well, yeah, I had it, but kind of need a little bit more. The reality is this, it'll never be enough. You and I are not ordinary creatures for whom a little bit of food, a little bit of shelter, a little bit of clothing, whatever we need. We're not like the animal kingdom in that. We're not machines in that sense. We're sort of programmed to do some things and we just do those things over and over and over again. We're not like cars where the gas tank gets empty, you just refill it again and it goes until it's empty. We are people driven by this insatiable curiosity, desire, and even capacity for more. The reality is, the more we get, the more we actually need. And so if you're someone who's saying, well, I know, I, I actually haven't had enough. I'm just trying to get a little bit more, and then I'll be happy. If you actually look at a whole lot of people, there's a whole lot of people that have what you don't have, and yet they're still looking for something else. Because here's the key. The more you get, the more you actually need to get. If you have some money, you start to consider some options that you didn't know were at your disposal. And now you need a little bit more just to get that little bit edge. If you're a thrill seeker, you know, whatever thrills you had, you actually need a little bit more, a little bit more daring experiences or adventures or whatever to get the same kind of high that you had before because it goes down a little bit. This is what they call the law of diminishing returns. The more you get, the less thrill you get from it. So you always need a little bit more. Now, 
you may wonder, or if you're a person of faith, and think, well, where does God fit into this? Can I suggest a few categories that God might fall into for people who are looking for what's next and what's more, and the reality is that's all of us? Some of us see God as the tax collector. He's like, hey, you can do your thing, but I get my, I got to get paid, right? And that may mean money, like you got to pay me, you got to give to me or whatever uh, in order to keep what you get to keep. Or maybe, you know, like we would see religious observance as maybe you grew up like that. Hey, if you want God to bless you or do your thing, you got to show up to church, you got to show up the temple or synagogue or wherever that is. You got to do your thing, pay your obedience to God because he's the one that says, hey, I'll let you do that stuff, but you got to pay me my peace. Others of us might see God as the judge, you know, looking at us going, shame on you, shame on you, always chasing after this or that, shame on you for always wanting more. Some of us have that picture of God that he's sort of just looking disapprovingly down at us and what we're trying to do. And he's already judging us before the year has began. Uh, some of us, uh, I don't is that even a thing, a good luck charm grandpa? Maybe like good luck charm slash grandpa. Like we sort of see God as this, you know, like a God kiss the dice, you know, before I roll them because I'm letting everything ride on seven or something like that. Or, or this idea that God is this grandpa that's saying, oh, you know what? Like, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm proud of you. You do whatever you want to do. I'll be here if you need anything. It's just sort of this passive. He's happy to back whatever plans we're doing. He smiles. He's there if we need him. He's, you know, we, you know, kind of like a rabbit's foot or whatever we show up to church or pray or whatever somehow, that that'll bless what we're going to go and do in 2020. Others of us might see him as a benevolent dictator. You know what? God's busy. He's got a lot of stuff to do. He's mostly serious, mostly stoic, mostly dealing with big things like global conflict and global warming and all that stuff. And every so often he throws us a bone and he's, you know, he's, he looks after us as people, but he's up there and I'm down here and I'm doing my own thing. And maybe for some of you, for all those reasons, God isn't even in the picture for you for 2020. When you think about where you're going or what you want to do, it's like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm about. God doesn't really factor in. Why do I need God? Others of you, even though you would say, yeah, I know, I follow God. If you think about it, when you think about the plans that you have for 2020 and where you're going, you actually haven't thought much about God at all in that sense. Maybe he falls mostly into that benevolent dictator. He's there, and or maybe he's, you know, he's a good luck charm. He's going to bless whatever I'm going to do. <clears throat> But can I suggest to you that maybe at the end of one year and in heading into the other, that what happened most of last year, as you chased and strived and pushed after for more, whatever you spent your time and your energy and the sacrifices you made to get it, and you got it, and the reality is you still need more. It's a bit of an endless cycle. Or maybe you used yourself up entirely in the process of trying to get it and you didn't get it. What would it be like for you a year from now to be able to say at the end of 2020, I have a deeper sense of fulfillment. I have a deeper sense of gratitude. I have a deeper sense of joy in my life. Can I suggest to you that if that's what you want, if that's how you're going to live, it has everything to do with God and who you think he is, and what he's about. Several thousand years ago, King David wrote a prayer to God about his desires. Now, David's an interesting character to, to be reading a prayer that he wrote. David was a king, but he was first a shepherd. If you want to say he's actually somebody that had nothing, he was sort of a, a poor shepherd boy, and then got you know, thrust into the limelight and was called by God and had these amazing victories and got some fame and said he was a really good-looking guy. and like So he went from kind of nothing to having more, and then he lost it when the 
king who was in place at the time found out that David was going to be the next king. So he starts, you know, so David goes on the run. He's living in caves. He's, he's under a threat of death. He's escaped uh, death like several times. Um, and then he gets, actually becomes king. And the kingdom grows to its, at, at its zenith is under David's leadership. And so he then has everything. He's one of those people, you know, you meet those people and you're like, oh, that guy's really good looking, but he's probably, you know, nothing between the ears. Then you talk to him, you're like, no, you're kind of intelligent. And he's like, oh, you're an Olympic athlete too. Oh, and you're a musician and a poet. And like, oh yeah, but you're probably a jerk. Oh, you're actually a really nice guy. It's like, no, they can't. you don't want to kill those people, right? This is what David was like. He had everything, had everything. And then even after that, his own son tried to take the throne from him and tried to kill him. So he was on the run again, which is actually when he wrote the prayer that we're going to read. And so this is a guy, like, if we can take it from him, who had nothing, who had everything and nothing and everything twice over. So when it comes to the pursuit of more, whether you're somebody that feels like, oh, I have had it, but I need a little bit more. I've never had it, and I'm still chasing after. David's prayer shows us two incredibly significant things about God that we desperately need to know that had everything to do with our desires. The passage is read for you from Psalm 63, but the very first thing that we notice is God is not who you think he is. God is not who you think he is. Um, when David writes this psalm and this prayer to God, in no way possible is he relating to God as kind of a tax collector. Someone who, you know, is demanding his payment and I'll just pay God off and then I can kind of do what I want with the rest of my money or the rest of my time or the rest of my life or the rest of my energy. In no way either is he relating to God as sort of, a, you know, a judge who he's kind of in fear of and he's trying to, you know, hold back and show as little as possible of his hand, of his life to God and sort of keep him at arm's length. Neither does he seem to see God as sort of a good luck charm or a grandpa who's just sort of patting him on the head at a distance. He checks in with him every so often, you know, blesses, you know, bless the dice before I roll it. Nor does he seem to just see God as somebody to be thanked for his blessings because he's a benevolent dictator and move on. Look at the language that David uses in this prayer to God. He says things like, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. I have beheld your power and glory. In other words, I've experienced your power and your glory in your house. Your love is better than life. There's nothing better than your love, God. And then he says, my whole body praises you like my lips praise you. I lift up my hands to you. Everything in me is praising you. I am fully satisfied in a relationship with you like someone who's had a rich meal, food. Like I'm a rich person with rich food, wine, meat, all the exotic foods and fruits that I could get around the world, which David probably would have experienced. He says, being with you is like being full like that. He says, I think about you through all the watches of the night. In other words, I, you're, you're with me all the time. I can't stop thinking about you. I sing, he says, in the, in the shadow of your wings. In other words, when I'm around you, even when things are bad, I can sing because I feel so safe with you. He says, in times of trouble, I cling to you. Friends, look at this language. I mean, some of you have grown up in, in, a, in knowing about God or being around people who are supposedly experts on who God is, and you've never, ever heard them talk or think about God like this. Far beyond a tax collector, a judge, a grandpa, or a benevolent dictator. This is the language of love, of intimacy, of delight, of satisfaction, of desperation. It is a language of relationship. Maybe the crowning statement of this whole thing, David says, your love is better than life. And so I think, first of all, we just step back and go, well, maybe God is not who I thought he was. 
maybe what people told me about him or my relationship to him or my experience with him and my religion or whatever was he was either distant or angry or judgmental or just uninvolved in my life. Nothing like David seems to be describing this relationship that is out of this world, that is full of desire and delight, that actually marks someone who is looking for more. Which actually brings us to the second thing this psalm tells us is, underneath every other pursuit of more in your life and my life is actually a desire for God. Underneath every other thing that you and I are going after, deep inside of us, we are ultimately looking for more. You may say, no, I'm not looking for God like in the, those things. Like I, that's, I'm, I'm looking for a promotion in my work. I'm looking for a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Or I'm looking to sort of have some recognition or you know, looking to just to have peace in my life or have a, a better body. I'm not looking for God. Are you? Really? Think about it for a moment. When you are looking for new experiences, when you want uh, just this continual uh, sense of like something new, and you're a, you're a, you love travel or you love you know eating new foods or going new places, are you not tapping into the God who created the universe with an endless amount of beauty and delight in it? When, when you are looking for fame or recognition, either you're someone who is pursuing it yourself or you're a fan of someone who does, right? Because that's, that's, what, that's what glory seeking is, right? We're either looking for recognition ourselves or we're looking to be around people who are glorious. It's why we love watching sports or following movie stars or you know, uh, being around famous people, reading People magazine or whatever. It's like, well, there's, there's the experience. We love feeling glorious and adored and we love being close to people who are being adored and who are glorious and who are famous. Aren't you looking for the glory of God. This idea that we were made to be enthralled, to be overwhelmed with something so much bigger. We were actually made to live in the light of glory. The fact that you see glory is not a shame on you. It's a clue that there is something in you that longs to be glorious and in the presence of a glorious being. When you are looking for sex, when you are looking for that relational fulfillment, that, uh, that excitement, the experience of being satisfied and fulfilled, it is a longing for intimacy deep down. People who help people who are addicted to pornography even saying that it isn't primarily simply about physical appetites, although there's addictive component. Ultimately, underneath there is a longing to be loved and accepted. There is a longing for intimacy. Ultimately, deep down, we are looking for God. It's hard for us to actually think about our own desires in this context, but the truth is that you and I are not ordinary creatures. We're not like the rest of creation who's happy with food and shelter and water. Yes, we are creatures, and we share things with the animal kingdom, with the creaturely world. We do need food. We do need shelter. We do need clothing. But you and I are beings that seem to have a capacity and a desire for more. The things you want, the things I want, the things we look after and long for are nothing short of God-like things. When you are seeking recognition, you are seeking to be looked at and to be adored. You are longing to be in the presence of glory and to experience what glory is. 
in a community, in a world that has removed God from the center of the universe and says there is no transcendent being, then that's why we worship sex because all we have left is the orgasm, the 30 seconds of heaven on earth. Somehow an otherworldly, out-of-body experience, a transcendence just for a moment even. That's what that is. That is what we are looking for. The person who goes looking for pornography on the internet is surfing for God. The person who's looking for the next thrill and the next experience because the last one is not enough anymore is looking for something and someone and some experience with a a boundless, a limitless capacity for more delight, experience, wonder, awe. They are looking to worship. It's why people travel all over the world to see things that no one has ever seen and pay thousands of dollars to heliski and, and see the sights of the world. Why? Because they are longing to worship. They are longing to look at something supremely beautiful. C.S. Lewis said it this way, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care. On the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. Friends, all of these things that we seek after, that we long for, They are not bad things, but in fact, they are not enough. They are clues that are pointing us to the one, to the thing that our heart desires most, a deep, fulfilling relationship with the supreme creator of the universe, whose love is better than life. Ultimately, what is underneath every other pursuit are all those things that David is describing, that we would have the experience of being full, like having a rich, rich meal, that we would have the experience of being loved in a love that actually obliterates all of the other ups and downs of life, that we would have an experience of security where even in the face of fear, we can sing or we can whistle because we feel so safe in the presence of God, that we have someone to whom that we can cling to, the one we are seeking after, the one in whom our soul and our whole body and everything in us wants to worship and delight in. This is the thing that ultimately we are looking for that is underneath every other pursuit of more. You see, God's rival in your life is not Satan. It's God's gifts. That somehow God's gifts would distract us and ultimately make us think these are the real things and would not help us understand who God really is. Ultimately, it is this. God is not calling us to want less He doesn't judge you for your desire, your pursuit of more. He's calling us not to settle for less than the real thing. He's not shaming you for wanting more, for desiring more, for always needing a bit more. That clue that you always need a bit more is a sign that you need far more than what it is you've been running after, than what it is I've been running after. We ultimately are looking for and longing for a relationship with the living God. And he does not want us to settle for less. 
um, <clears throat> this last week was, is usually my favorite week of the year. Christmas Day, Boxing Day, my two favorite days of the year. Part of that is coming off the high of Christmas Eve, which I love, and this year we had three services, which is just amazing. It was just a delight to be in Vaughan and King City and Bolton. Uh, it was an incredible experience. And then um, waking up, and I was feeling a little bit sick, so I had some Advil cold and sinus, which was going, so maybe the sermon was a little bit better than normal. Um, no, uh, maybe. Um, and uh, and I woke up the next morning, Christmas Christmas Day, and I, I was like sick. You know, when you wake up, and you're like, oh no, I'm sick. The throat, the chills, everything. And basically, I had the flu for six days. During my six days off, my favorite time of the year, and my wife will tell you, I did not handle it well. <laughs> I was grumpy and I was angry and I tried to, you know, keep it under wraps or whatever when you're with your mother-in-law and stuff like that. But then when Jen and I would talk sort of the other night, I said, I'm so annoyed. I'm so angry. You know, this is, these are the days I was looking forward to. It's been a busy fall and I, I just wanted these like days off before the week gets started and we got a week of prayer and it's going to be busy January and like, I hate this. I hate being sick. We just, every day we just cancel plans. <laughs> At one point, sat down and talked with God, which I was kind of resisting doing because to be honest, I was angry at him because I we're, we're praying every day and I'm not getting better. Lots of people are praying for me. And so I'm journaling and I write and, and I felt like Jesus saying, hey, so why are you angry? At, uh, why are you angry? I'm like, well, I'm angry because I wanted these days off and I, and I needed these days off. And, the, and, and he's like, well, didn't you just have five months this year? Anyway, I said, no, he did say it. It kind of poked me. That's what Jesus does. No, I said, come on. I, I, I needed it. And he said, why? Why did you need this time? I'm like, well, because it's going to be busy. And, and, you know, I got the week of prayer and I got to preach. And then the year, and, and he's like, so, so let me just get this straight. You thought that six days of you... Um, overeating and snowboarding and hanging out with friends was going to fuel you for the entire year? That, that's what you thought? Boy, you wouldn't get through one week if that's what you're thinking. You don't need those things to thrive in this year or even in this first week of prayer. You actually need the week of prayer. You need to write a sermon. You know why? Because I'm trying to get through to you. Because you're looking for these things and you think all I need is a bit more rest. All I need is a bit more leisure. It'll never be enough. What you need is me. You're looking for me. It was just a shift totally realized in my mind. is going, wait a second. I don't need these days off so that I can somehow lead during the week of prayer and write a good sermon. I need to prepare a sermon and go through the week of prayer because that will lead me to the one I really am looking for. That's the more I need in my life. I suddenly realized, wait, these things that I have to do to begin the year are actually God's gift to me to say, I am giving you more. I am giving you a chance to experience me, the one your heart really desires. To taste and see that somehow my love is even better than a week off. See, this takes something like a week of prayer, which we're going to do at the beginning of this year. We do every year is begin the week in prayer. It takes and turns it on its head. See, prayer isn't this thing that we do to pay the tax collector. You know, we do some prayers so that, you know, we can get them off our back. Prayer isn't something we do because we're afraid if we don't do it right and push the right buttons, the judge will be angry with us. Prayer isn't something we do as a good luck charm. It's like, oh, I'm going to do all this stuff and try all this stuff and hope to get a girlfriend and hope to do this and that. And God, I really need you to bless me, so I'm going to pray. Prayer isn't something we just do to the benevolent dictator because we ought to thank him, shouldn't we? Because hasn't he been really good to us? No. Prayer is the language of desire and delight and relationship and fullness. And God invites us to pray because he's inviting us into more. He's inviting us into a relationship with the one whose love is better than life. 
Prayer is the place we go because we are desperate for God. Because we cling to Him. Because even though there's darkness all around us, we want to learn how to sing in the middle of the storm. That's why we pray. That's why we go. Especially for those of us who say, I don't actually desire that at all. There's a list of a hundred things that I could put ahead of, if I'm honest, a desire to be with God or desire to pray. And so that's why this is given to us as a gift to say, you know what, if underneath everything you're looking for is actually a hunger and a desire and a pursuit of God, why not start the year looking for God? Why not just start there? Translation, come to the week of prayer. It's going to be Sunday to Thursday. Starts tonight at 7.30 at King City United Church, which is actually a new location for our third site. Some of you were there on Christmas Eve. But I just want to invite you to actually come and experience, to be in the presence of God. When David says, I have seen you, I've seen your glory and your power in the sanctuary. In other words, I've experienced glory and power. I've actually experienced, tasted firsthand and seen and felt your love and, and actually gotten the things that my heart is longing for and looking for by being in your presence. And that's what prayer does. It ushers us into the presence of God together. And if you've never done it before, we try to make it a learning experience, a little bit of a lab. So every night you're actually learning how to do this. You're invited to just sit and watch. And if you, you don't have to participate, you don't have to say anything out loud. You get to actually just experience this. But I promise you, I promise you, this is one of those doors that will usher you into a new reality in your relationship with God. Many of you saw the video that Linda sent out this week. And one of the beautiful things she said when we were just talking about it before she even, before we even decided we shoot a video, she said, week of prayer is the happiest week of my year. That's not language of tax paying or hiding from the judge or whatever. That is delight. And that is what I promise you you'll experience because it has been my, my experience over and over and over and over again. As you can see, I still haven't learned. So I'm so glad that we're doing this again. If, I'd just do it if it was just for me. Because this brings me into that place where again I could say, God, your love is better than life. Here's my hope and my promise for you. If you're to do this, to take the risk, to actually start the year looking for God. And when we actually begin to experience that His love is better than life, that life or relationship with Him actually makes us full on the inside, deep, that He is a, a presence in our lives that causes us to sing in the middle of the storm, that He's someone we cling to in times of trouble, that He's someone we look for, we realize you're the one we actually need and want. When you begin to do that, you know what will come into your life more and more? Freedom. Freedom from being driven along by the pursuit of more, which seems to just make our world go round and round in this exhausting cycle. You get the freedom from saying, these things ultimately, they're good, but they're not God. They're the gifts, but they point me to Him. It frees you from having to get those things and having more, or frees you from saying, hey, if I didn't get them, it actually leaves you open to receive and let go of whatever comes and goes from the hand of God. And it also frees you to enjoy God, to delight in God, to seek and look for more of God. And so that is my prayer and my hope and my blessing for you as you take a step like this. Maybe for some of you, it'll be the first time you come. Maybe you came once or twice or once through the year and you're going to come. I would challenge you, come all five. I'm telling you, some of you binge watch way more of Jack Ryan, okay, in two nights than the amount of hours you would spend praying. And do you know what it gets you? Not much. 
So take a risk and come and do five nights and see what happens to your frame of mind as you hopefully will have the experience of it being the happiest week of your year and changes your perspective and shifts how you enter into 2020.